Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, January 16th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my fully vaccinated and valid visa-having friend, Max. How's it going, my friend? Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, It's good to be both of those things, for sure. I can think of one particular Serb who would like maybe that status right now. Uh, I am somewhat sympathetic to the plight of helplessness at the moment as I am feeling very helpless against the Montreal winter. We're on day two of the below minus 30 and looking at 25 to 30 centimeters coming down tomorrow in snow starting at about 2 a.m. So luckily my work just rescheduled our Monday day to Tuesday because that driving the truck in that would have been awful. So trying to think of what to do with my snow day tomorrow. Lovely, lovely. Sounds like a good day for some tobogganing or uh, finding a a rink somewhere to skate on. Just make sure you wear plenty of layers. Um, It was a nice solid minus four in the middle of the day here in London, which was perfect shinny weather. And I did get out on the rink for just a, about an hour or so, really, really lovely. Um, but now I have a sore wrist and a sore back because it has been a while. Um, so on the mend a little bit and, and a perfect time to sit down and, and catch up. Still playing with the 11 year olds. Uh, actually caught a couple college buddies out today. Oh, yeah. sweet. I got, I got walked though. That's the only difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I need to sharpen up the, the hockey skills for sure. Well, we've got a pretty good opportunity ahead of us. Yep, yep. If hopefully, hoping the weather actually stays cool. And um, I know it's not everyone's favorite time of year, but you got to try and look at anything you can do, especially with lockdown right now on top of the uh, chilly winter. Yeah. On that note, the province of Quebec lifting the curfew tonight the last night that we can't go out at 10 p.m and the last sunday that grocery stores have been closed so celebrating the small liftings of that yep Yep. and while one government lifts restrictions another came down hard uh was it yesterday as the australian government um invalidating novak djokovic's visa and deporting him back to Serbia. That is where our show will begin. Hey, we warned you, tennis talk is coming. It's going to be right off the top here. And uh, Max, what do you got for us to kick things off? Yeah, go back, Djokovic. Uh, (laughs) Oh, boy. I think a name that circulated a lot of households this past week as the court case has gone on. I've been observing most of it decided to hold my tongue until the ruling was finalized and we knew one way for another. That's what's happened. So a quick rundown. Djokovic had been known before leaving for Australia that he had been granted a vaccine exception, refused to comment on if he was vaccinated or not, but it was pretty clear from all this behavior that he was in fact not because he wouldn't need the exemption otherwise. Um, Upon arriving in Australia, news circulates that he's been detained and they're attempting to deport him. This seems a little strange because he's had this visa for some time and it was known in advance that he would be able to go. 
Um, so you'd think if that sort of thing was to happen, he wouldn't have been able to go at all in the first place. The fact that he had the visa made it a little strange. As details kind of emerged, two ugly sides came out on the one side. It seemed like the Australian government immigration department had decided they didn't want Djokovic coming into the country, made a last second decision to get him out of the country and refuse his visa. On the other side, information about how Djokovic got the vaccine exemption came in saying that he had contracted COVID. Only the date of that didn't line up as the date of his positive test was two days, I believe, before a photo shoot was done and with children, everyone maskless. This coupled with the fact that Djokovic has kind of been certain he's going to the Australian Open and catching COVID within 90 days of needing to get through a border with something like a vaccine exemption from having recently had COVID is a bit too convenient. So a lot of people thinking the vaccine passport probably forged, or excuse me, the positive COVID test probably forged. Uh, that's where my line of thought goes, as opposed to him actually having COVID and being with the kids. Because like I said, if he was so certain he was going to play in the Australian Open, it's a lot more reliable to fake a test rather than um, be shitty in front of and possibly risk kids getting COVID. As all this comes to light, the first ruling comes down that the way the Australian immigration minister acted um, just violated some basic rights and principles Djokovic had to fair defense, the timeliness and imminent manner of the detention. Um, given more time, the minister was able to mount a successful uh, visa cancellation, I guess, and I was going, the Australian government probably hasn't enjoyed this much publicity in a while. Uh, due to the public nature of this, they've put most of the court documents online. They can be found pretty easily. I might link them in this. I was reading the one that came from the minister's side as opposed to Djokovic. And it basically said that Djokovic's presence um, would spur anti-vax sentiment and that having this unvaccinated superstar would embolden the, those hesitant to get the vaccine or those who didn't want to might send them their protests and therefore his presence was a danger in Australia. So that's been a lot of facts and not a lot of opinions so far. Oh, and I'll catch my breath quickly and I would like to hear yours on this. Yeah. So from a purely scientific perspective, him, if, if we are to go and assume that he did contract the virus within the 90 days and went through that whole process, um, and of course, tested negative once he had gone through that period of symptoms, then on a health perspective, you actually would feel comfortable granting him that medical exemption, letting him attend the tournament. He's not a risk in that sense where he's going to pass it on to others. He is has a period of immunity that we know is to be true based on studies. The part where it lies and what you mentioned is the principle of it is, do you let someone attend the tournament after two years now of all of the structures that we have put in place and the constant message being told to people to get vaccinated and to 
follow these guidelines in order to preserve the health of everyone and more importantly, the vulnerable populations um, in our countries. And to go ahead and kind of prioritize someone of great stature, he is going to be, when it's all said and done, hold the record for the most uh, Grand Slam tournaments won by a male tennis player. But is he above the laws that have been set in place here? And the conclusion that the Australian government ended up coming to was no. And the other piece of that, which you mentioned, is setting that precedent for others who are hesitant to get the vaccine or actively stepping out and speaking against the vaccine. You just cannot have that go through because it opens up a whole can of worms for that government to deal with. And I think they made the right choice, in my opinion. It's really disappointing, though, that he won't be able to compete in Australia, I think not just this year, but for a couple of years now with an invalid visa. Yeah, so he's potentially been rejected from the country for three years. That's not set in stone. He can apply. I believe there's a federal election coming in Australia in April, May. They have a parliamentary system. So if a different party wins, or if there's just a cabinet shuffle after the same party wins, it could be a different minister this time next year. And Djokovic's camp would have him to deal with in terms of getting that three years reduced. Um, yeah, it if not the letter of the law, as none of this is really in statute yet regarding COVID vaccination, uh, certainly the spirit of what Australia's COVID policy has been these two years, which has been uh, one of the worldwide Western leaders in low case counts and low death percentage of the total population. And essentially the vibe you got from this Australian minister's document was we don't like him we don't want him here and we're going to make that happen the part i didn't like so much was there was a bit that like we're worried his presence could embolden like rallies and protests where as their high drama handling of this matter rather than like blocking the visa before Djokovic ever got on the plane to australia in the first place ensured that there were protests and rallies and so i found that a bit hypocritical on their part yeah. but ultimately it's big disappointment from novak i a worldwide superstar in the sport so many people look up to him as an example and to see that he's not vaccinated and I don't know if he had an opportunity within this whole process to just get the shots. He's had months to think about this and could have done yes. that. And really, truly. And so this, at the end of the day, lays to rest at the foot of his bed. And from a North American's perspective, maybe this is a lot less weird. Like we look at what Kyrie Irving is going through in Brooklyn, what Andrew Wiggins went through in Golden State, uh, the NHL, a league with all but one player vaccinated. Uh, the handling of on Australia's part of this is similar to that. Just the nature of the Grand Slam as a two-week event, Djokovic's superstar status, um, the data that's kind of continued to come on vaccines as Omicron has reduced them to about 30% has all kind of changed the framing of this a little bit, but it is par for the course and the sporting 
bodies that govern like the majority of top level professional sports globally have made this their stance and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing the you mentioned Djokovic is eventually going to surpass that grand slam record I do wonder if this will be the year I don't know what England and Paris's policies are going to look like. The U.S. Open happens in New York, the state where Kyrie Irving currently cannot play. But I think if the U.S. Open organization did what the Australian Open organization did to get Novak that visa, uh, whoever the federal migration minister equivalent in Joe Biden's government is, is probably not going to act as the Australian minister has. So I don't know what Novak's chances at breaking that record looks like of the three tournaments he should be eligible to attend. And we'll see if this turn of events leads him or encourages him to get vaccinated, or at least maybe consider it when the better round of doses that we're all waiting for come out. Uh, that's all on the Novak side of things. In terms of the Australian Open, just kind of evidently now are one and two. In the top half of the bracket, it's Alexander Zverev, who's going to go against the Canadian, Denis Shapovalov, if they both make it to the fourth round. And on the bottom side, Daniel Medvedev, these two most recently meeting in the NITO ATP finals, where Zverev won the third rounder. So just those are the names to watch as they advance through the seeds, through the draw, and uh, we'll see if there's any upsets along the way. We'll be happy to monitor that and probably constant tennis check-in for the next two weeks, the Australian Open kicking off in about two hours, I believe. Awesome. Cannot wait. And uh, we'll be checking in with tennis over the next couple of shows. We'll also be checking in with football over the next couple of shows as we are right in the thick of the playoffs now. Uh, Super wildcard weekend going on as we speak uh, this weekend. The Dallas Cowboys just scoring a touchdown <laughs> at time of recording here. So drawing near to the 49ers. Um, we'll get to that game. But let's roll back the clock uh, about 29 hours or so the Cincinnati Bengals and the Las Vegas Raiders kicking off the weekend um, in style this has probably been the best game so far out of the weekend uh, until we see if the Dallas Cowboys can make this game close but uh, a couple of early errors cost the Raiders six points to Cincinnati and really that was the difference ended up being in this game was the Raiders had a couple of untimely mistakes that led to points for the Bengals. Um, and Joe Burrow, I think the main story coming out of this game was he was fantastic. He had this touchdown uh, that looked like he stepped out of bounds, but just threw it before heading out of bounds. Uh, the whistle was blown right before the receiver caught the ball in the end zone for a touchdown. Um, an errant whistle because the ref at the time thought he had stepped out of bounds. They ended up ruling it a touchdown, which actually went against the NFL rule book. If a whistle is blown in error uh, during the play of a game, the down has to be replayed no matter the result, but that call was not made. Um, and so the Bengals get, get a controversial touchdown. In my opinion, 
they would have scored anyways. The whistle was blown while the ball was in the air. So it seemed like everyone was still pretty much playing full speed. Uh, but, but yes, definitely sidestepping the rules a bit there. And those refs apparently will not be refing for the rest of the playoffs. Um, that's the punishment that the NFL hands down there. Uh, so Raiders fans a bit to gripe with, but in the end, um, they did their best to come back in this game and the Bengals getting an interception on the goal line to seal things. Uh, and, and they win that one by seven. Um, I think the, the big thing out of this second half was the defense is really tightened up and the Raiders were really slow near the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter, getting into their offense an almost a lack of urgency from the team. And I think those valuable seconds really took away from them having to squeeze a ton into the last kind of minute of the game. And that's what ended up causing them to force things and, and leaving them short. And Cincinnati, their first playoff win in 31 years. Congratulations to them. Uh, that is a huge victory and, and they get to enjoy it all they want before most likely getting ready to face the Tennessee Titans next weekend. We move on to the next game. We can go through this in about 30 seconds. Josh Allen, unreal performance, and the Buffalo Bills straight up embarrass the New England Patriots. A clown show would be uh, the correct word here. Um, pumped them. It was really, really cold, and everyone thought that was going to be the story of the game, that the, the Patriots are built on this toughness. It's going to be tough to play them in this weather, and the Bills just ran them up and down the field. Mac Jones looked like he was living a nightmare, and the other way, the Bills could not be stopped. They scored a touchdown on every single possession they had in the game. No field goals, no turnovers, no punts, and they win by 30, 47 to 17. Yeah. Patriots fans. How's it feel? <laughs> All right. We'll move on. Um, similar type story in, in today's one o'clock game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, despite injuries to their offensive line, just run up and down the field on the Philadelphia Eagles own them in all facets of the game. Uh, saw, kind of saw this one coming uh, Buccaneers team. That is the defending Super Bowl champs versus an Eagles team that snuck into the playoffs, but hadn't really beaten any sort of good team at all this year. Um, and the Bucks stopped the Eagles run game. They caused Hertz to make a couple of uh, interceptions. And then Tom Brady just, he, he doesn't make mistakes come this time of the year. And like clockwork, Gronk gets a touchdown. Mike Evans with a massive game, 120 yards and a touchdown and, and the Bucks roll on and, they're hopefully looking to set up a matchup with the Cowboys, but uh, it, it could end up being the uh, one of the Cardinals or the Rams uh, if the Cowboys can't come back here. Speaking of the Cowboys, on right now, Dallas really killing itself with penalties early in this game, and everything was going San Francisco's way for about three quarters here. Uh, the Niners... I think if you're a team playing the Niners uh, in any future playoff games, you have to choose to receive the opening kickoff because this Niners team, it seems like every first drive of the game that they have is always at least 15 plays and they take at least half of the time in the quarter away. Like they just have such a great game script to start games. 
and they did so against Dallas, dominated them at the line of scrimmage uh, and scored the opening touchdown. And then the Cowboys could not find their rhythm um, 16 to seven at halftime, but probably could have been a lot more for the Niners. And the only time when Dallas really had success up until the fourth quarter was when they were going to Tony Pollard. And I think that's something they're going to have to look at in the offseason is, is Tony Pollard going to be their number one guy over Ezekiel Elliott at this point? He's just so much more dynamic, it looks like, in the backfield. But as we stand right now, the 49ers have the ball at their own 39, up six with possession, just under six minutes to go in the game. So we will track that as we continue to go through the podcast, but uh, getting down to the wire in that one between these two really historic franchises. Been fun this week with football. We've still got two games left after this podcast, so might have to touch on those on Thursday. But that's it for the Football Fan Cave. Max, uh, you got a little bit combat corner here. Recap from the weekend. Yeah, able to catch up on the main event between Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater at UFC Fight Night. And I feel like I kind of called this one. It was an awesome fight. Calvin Cater taking the decision easily, unanimous 50-45s and 150-44. Answering all the questions after that beatdown Max Holloway put on him. Would the chin still be there? It was as good as it's ever looked. He was able to like take any shot Giga had for him. But more importantly, Calvin Cater showed improvements in his ability to implement and execute a game plan against Giga, uh, a really powerful, explosive kicker. Calvin managed to neutralize that offensive part of Giga's game by just putting him on the back foot. And that one made it really challenging for Giga to find the space to explode. Uh, You saw so many times as he'd be circling back, he'd try and cut a corner and then take an extra explosion back to have a little more room where he could throw that kick from the southpaw position and that starts kind of these chains where he'll go kick straight, kick, throw hook, and another, and, and just launch six, seven really powerful strikes in about five seconds and just totally grab the momentum and the rhythm of a fight like that. Every time he tried to step back like that, Calvin just switched stances, which let him be one step closer, took away that space Giga was creating and let Calvin continue to pour on the pressure. Uh, One time when he does that, Giga in the first round tries to explode anyway. Without enough space, it's rushed, it's forced. He lost his balance on a kick, fell. Calvin took him down, uh, controlled him for the rest of the round, took that one easily. Second round, Giga's best work when he had the most energy and was on his feet for five minutes. He did land some hard shots, but like I said, Calvin's durability, just as good as it was before the Holloway fight, that time off, the right amount of time. Not too long to get rusty, but long enough to have the chin not be an issue. All questions answered. Um, But he doesn't make too much of a show of eating horrible shots continuously after getting a few tags on him. He goes, earns them back, putting that pace on giga definitely sapped some of the cardio he would have liked to use for strikes and just having to be moving backwards and dodging the whole time and by the start of the third round uh chikadze was running on fumes and kadar just put on a three-round clinic of forward pressure landing the jab using elbows to slice giga up as he tried to get the inside head movement 
um, just making him pay for any lazy head movement. And by the end of the fight, his face was swollen, bruised, and bloody. Calvin dominated the fight. It was an amazing performance by him. What a way to come back after a year off. Uh, this guy just always takes a step forward after he loses, after he fought Zabit, after he lost to uh, Mirsad Bektik, was it? No. Shoot. Hanato Moicano, who hit him with the calf kicks, he took another step forward. Uh, and after this Max Holloway fight, he's done it once again, it seems. I'd love to see him fight either Josh Emmett, who's probably got the most momentum in the division right now, or Brian Ortega, who's coming off that title challenge loss. Uh, two guys near the top of the division with a lot of momentum, not named Max Holloway. I think that's the fight for Cater next. But it was really fun to watch UFC again. Happy to get Combat Corner back and running. Looking forward to breaking down in Ganu versus Gone Thursday. Till then, we move on in the show to basketball. Yeah, not really much to talk about Friday night. I think the Raptors played some team, um, but Saturday was awesome. And that's the game I really want to talk about here. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have Giannis for the third and final matchup between these two teams of the season and really the Raptors man with one of their guttiest wins of the season so far really felt like the teams that had those special nights that you fall in love with uh, I remember they had a couple last year fighting with guys while they were going through COVID protocols um in Tampa and then the year before that uh, after losing Kawhi this team that came together and had a remarkable season in the end, falling to the Celtics in the bubble. But there was something special about that game last night. Uh, no Scotty, no Gary Trent going up against the Bucks, who have Giannis, and they took him out of the equation for the most part in this game. And there are just a couple guys I have to shout out. Uh, Justin Champagny looking really good in the additional minutes that he's been adding on. Nick Nurse said last week he was knocking on the door of the rotation, and he has been getting some fourth-quarter run here um, with the starters while Trent and, and Scotty Barnes have been out. He has a nose for the ball, like just somehow finds a way to be in the right place at the right time, get grabbing rebounds on both ends, and did a pretty decent job staying in front of guys like uh, Chris Middleton, Jordan Amora, uh, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, even Giannis for times, if he was picking him up in a transition, he does a respectable job staying in front of guys on the perimeter. And, and that's something the Raptors and any team always is looking for. So shout out to Champagny and then Pascal Siakam, uh, really the all-star charges in full swing from him, um, him and Fred Van Vliet becoming the third and fourth Raptors in franchise history to get a 30 point triple double. And each of those happening within a week of each other, Pascal with 37, 10 and 10 in that game, just an outstanding performance, had some late daggers down the stretch, which really is showing he's turning back into that guy who was uh, second all NBA team two years ago, you forget, but uh, he's really turned it on over the last month or so. And the pump fake that he made, and then the shot, um, as George Hill flew by to seal it was really awesome. Uh, and there was a big moment for my guy, 
And our guy, OG Ananobi, he had a special game staying in front of Middleton and Giannis all night long and then late forced to heave up a shot with about two seconds left on the clock, Go come short, but he follows his own rebound first to the ball, converts the and one layup, uh, and it felt so sweet to beat that team because Bobby Portis, man, every time these two teams play, he's got the, the bug eyes and he's talking smack the entire game him and pascal love getting into it felt so good to beat this milwaukee team and sweep the season series against that top three seed in the eastern conference um back to the hustle wraps and the game ends with fred van bleet stripping Giannis. um just poetic uh, as they as they run it out so a uh, a good split on the weekend uh in their back-to-back games and especially on that second end beating a a healthy Milwaukee Bucks team obviously missing Drew Holiday and that probably disrupts a lot of what the Raptors would be doing offensively but injuries COVID on both sides and uh, the Raptors pulled this one out really proud well love to see it and this I don't know how many teams we don't say this about but the Raptors showing they can execute take a season series three nothing you don't want to be a top team going against guys like that in the playoffs. But again, like when we actually have our playoff seeded teams, we should go through teams 10 through six and like ask ourselves, is this a team you want to meet in the playoffs? And if we say no, every time, I think that phrase has lost all its meaning. <laughs> yeah, it's it for sure. And, and you could say that about a lot of teams. I think it will be whichever team really starts to get hot towards the end of the season here. Um, big week for the Raps. <clears throat> They play Miami and just confirmed no Kyle Lowry in that game. So ah. disappointing, but it is in Miami. So still oh. hope um, the game in Toronto against Miami will be happening January 29th, which is two days after the restrictions are supposed to lift. So at least hopefully we can maybe get a thousand fans in the building, maybe more. He needs, Man. he absolutely, you cannot welcome him back. Like we saw Serge Ibaka. It was the first time he had played in Scotiabank since the title. And there were no fans there when they played the Clippers. Just depressing. We need the yeah. fans back, man. And if they're not able to, who knows? We could see a Jurassic Park type thing uh, showing up for Kyle because he deserves it. Oh, for sure. Something will happen. Yeah. And yeah. Sid, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like some city special yeah. exemption yeah. made there. Yeah. And then uh, Charlotte and Washington, two teams in that sort of 6 to 11 range both each uh, big games for the Raptors on the slate for this upcoming week. Last bit of news here to touch on on the basketball side, Kevin Durant just came out that he has a sprained MCL will be four to eight weeks out for him. That is a huge blow to not only the Brooklyn Nets, but the whole league. He's in the top three um, in the MVP conversation. And this is really going to hurt that team right now. If, if, James Harden is kind of uh, like playing like a bowling ball rather than a MVP front runner. We've got Kyrie Irving only playing half of the games and may miss more if he gets future close contacts because he isn't unvaccinated. This Brooklyn Nets team, they might turn into one of those teams that ends up falling into the six to 10 range that no one wants to play come playoff time. Could you imagine setting up a, a rematch of Milwaukee Brooklyn in the first round? It's a possibility. So we will keep our eye on Brooklyn and see uh, if, if they slide 
yeah. with this huge loss. And it's something we've been kind of saying all season, looking at KD's minutes, right? Like, oh man, this is risky. Don't know how this is going to go. Like he's playing so well, he's forcing Nash to like give him these minutes, but who knows? So this timeline, at least not the worst case injury wise, and in that he will have plenty of time to be rehabbed for playoffs, but you can see Nash giving him a lighter load between now and then and where he'd rather be in the six seven seed with a healthy kd than in the two three seed with question marks on if this injury or something similar could re-aggravate all right that is it for basketball i guess we're uh we're getting close to closing out the show here with talking hockey and uh since our last podcast, just about as we wrapped out on Thursday, uh, the NHL All-Star team rosters were announced. Um, we, we haven't covered hockey as much as we probably would have liked to this season, so not too much we can take away from the rosters themselves. The only thing I would like to point about the NHL All-Star team that they continue to ignore is the fact that not every team needs a representative for the All-Star game. All right, Leo Komarov was the all-star for the Leafs like six years ago, and it was an embarrassment. I mean, I love Uncle Leo, but shouldn't be at the all-star game, right? Yeah. And there are a couple of examples here, right? Uh, Brad Marchand will not be going to the NHL all-star game, and he's like fifth in the league in points. Over him, going to the all-star game are Nick Suzuki, and Drake Batherson, just two right there in the Atlantic division, right? Um, and based on slots, like Charlie McAvoy is the potential last man in for the Bruins, so Marshawn doesn't even get in. Obviously, Bergeron's great, but both of those guys should go. In the West, like Clayton Keller is going. Obviously, great players, but on bad teams, probably shouldn't make the all-star team just because everyone has to send one. So we got Clayton Keller, um, Joe Pavelski, uh, and then the especially blatant one that kind of had me shocked was, Max, have you ever heard of Adrian Kempe? Nope. Do you know what team he plays for? San Jose? Close. Los Angeles Kings. Mm. And he's going over... San Jose, I guess, has like Burns. Yeah, take your pick. Timo Meyer's actually going for the San Jose Sharks. Yeah. But like, you just... it leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth um, that everyone has to send someone and, and you do have guys like Marchand and, and Nazem Kadri missing yeah. out on, on being able to go. So something for the NHL to address, nevertheless, should be a fun event. I know they've announced some uh, new skills competition events that we'll have to dive deeper into. And I think they are trying to bring more players than just the all-stars to the event like they do in the nba with the dunk contest and three-point contest and that would go a long way into making the nhl all-star game an event that people actually want to go to because some of the top players actively avoid it um like alex ovechkin but make an event that people want to go to grow your global brand it being in las vegas this year is a perfect venue to really try and display everything that's awesome about this league um and and 
start them in a direction that is is really going to try and propel the growth of this league. Uh, great TV contract, great host for the All-Star game. Continue to take those steps to try and push the brand out uh, worldwide. It's funny because in almost every other iteration of topics discussed on this pod, I want to go into the politics or business of something and you just want to talk about the sport. The All-Star game, the one scenario that i never really have much to say on and i'm ready to get back to the games <laughs> all right well we do have one game to talk about here um if you were a leafs fan this past week it has been quite the roller coaster uh a 4-1 lead obviously blown to the colorado avalanche that that caused many a uh, a strife on on the internet and then of course the overtime or shootout win against Vegas, and then losing to the worst team in the NHL, the Arizona Coyotes. They go into this game, St. Louis, up 3-1, right? Maybe this team has learned. They have not. 3-3, they actually do have a little bit of growth. Score, 4-3. Oh, 4-4, 5-4 St. Louis. Good. Another brutal, heart-wrenching loss from this team. But no, our Lord and Savior, Austin Matthews, scores on the power play, ties the game, Ilya Mikheyev, Superman to the rescue with a questionable game-winning goal, but you'll take it any way they go in. In the Leafs, is it growth or is it, what can you even say? Just add another chapter of high blood pressure in the lives of Leafs fans uh, as they pull out an important two points. And right now it feels like Boston, Tampa, and Florida cannot lose any of those teams. Like, those four teams are all the best four teams since November. It feels like they just cannot stop accumulating points. And the Leafs, I think, are the third place team in the league and are third in their division. So just crazy how stacked this Atlantic division is. Um, yeah, that game, I was going between the Leafs game, the Raptors game, and the football last night. Uh, and and it, was, it was too much to track, if I'm being frank. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just say Ilya Mikheyev, all the bad luck he accumulated last season, missing more breakaways than I could count, um, fanning on open one-timers by five feet of the net. That all seems to have been transferred out of last year and into this year. Uh, the return to the Leafs he's had has been phenomenal, and this one just... <laughs> I mean, for every like 10 that don't go in, one does, I guess. That one, that's all I can say about that. Um, nice to see them not give up. It's hard to say they really earned that goal, but just you do the right things at the right time, try your best, and sometimes the result does in fact come through. And Maybe that's the growth the Leafs can take away from this one. Yep, onwards and upwards for the Leafs. Um, I do like the way this season is going though, where we do get to kind of distance ourselves from this team and then hop right on board, uh, kind of with about a month left. And hopefully they're still in position to fight for an exciting playoff run. And who knows this team was the hottest it's ever been for the month of November. Maybe they can do that again. That's all you got to do is hope. <laughs> I see growth. I see progress. Ever since that pod where 
I went through all the teams that have, or a lot of the teams that have won Stanley Cup championships in the past 10 years, 15 years. Uh, there's reasons for optimism, at least out of the first round. Other observations, the Edmonton Oilers, oh my God, continue their brutal slide. Uh, last 16 games, they've lost 14, I believe. And the Ottawa Senators down, I think, 4-1 comeback and win 6-5 to five, or 6-4. to four. So another collapse by the Oilers. And, uh, and after the Oilers owned Ottawa last season, yeah, like yeah. 7-0. Yeah, I think it was nine and oh, they oh, played every, yeah. he played everyone nine times. Yeah. So the Oilers own the Senators like the Leafs own the Oilers, but I guess not this year. Um, pretty upsetting if you're an Edmonton fan that Ottawa is growing more than the Oilers, who have the two best players in the league, possibly. And I don't know if there's any credence to this, but it has been circulating and it has for a couple of years now. But could Connor ask out? with the way things are going. He would never say anything in the media because he never says anything at all. He even backed his general manager and said he would want to win when asked about the Evander Kane potential of being signed, which maybe isn't the best answer, but what do you want him to say? He's, he's really just a guy who's out there to play and his personality doesn't match the celebrity that he has gained from basically being the face of the league. So could he, behind closed doors, be thinking about where he wants to go next? Who knows? That's a terrifying prospect for, for Oilers fans to think about. So we won't, we won't breach it too much as a subject. But yeah, really brutal stuff over there in Edmonton. I don't think he asks out, but he might not re-sign with Edmonton if they never make it past the first round of the playoffs. That's the scenario I can see. Hockey culture just different. Yeah, and then and really besides that, things keep chucking along uh, in in the NHL here. Um, and and things keep chugging along here between the two of us at Sports Next Door. Um, possibly some new stuff in the works for all of you in the near future, uh, but don't want to tease too much right now. And we're going to continue to enjoy the football and the hockey and the basketball and the tennis and the UFC and whatever else is going on in the world of sports. It, it, it never ends, um, just like this lockdown, seemingly. But uh, what are we here now? About a week and a half away from things possibly opening up again. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to that and some more content to keep you guys through it. Thanks so much for listening to this one. Indeed. Uh... Shout out to Britta on this one. I bought a filter and started using it to make my coffee. It's like I was in the coffee section doing some shopping and they had like a two for 20 on a pretty nice brand. I think it's something dark horse maybe. Anyway, the packaging was fancy. The beans were like organic, nice dark roasts. And then reading the instructions, it was like use cold filtered water. I was like, ah, you know what? And so I went, bought a filter, and uh, the coffee's been better this week. So Lovely. I actually don't need to give any brand shout outs, just shout out to <laughs> using filtered water for coffee. Yeah. I was going to ask if we were doing free ads, but I guess not. No, just good practice. <laughs>
All right. Uh, would like to send my condolences to the Dallas Cowboys fans. It, it looks like here about a minute left. Um, the 49ers still in control of possession in Dallas territory. So things looking grim for the Cowboys here. And uh, another disappointing loss for a team that has now not seen any playoff success in over 20 years and is the most valuable sports franchise in North America. So that's tough. And every team that's, I guess, the Edmonton Oilers of the uh, NF, or maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know. If being the Similar, most, actually, yeah. with the market size, right? Yeah. And the playoff success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 49ers, hey, this is a heck of a team. And if you're the Green Bay Packers, this is probably the last team that you want to see in the playoffs right. here based on what happened a couple of years ago. Um, not a great matchup for them in terms of a run offense versus run defense. Although I don't know if there's a team out there that can stop Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams right now. So we'll be a really, really fun one. And, and we'll have our preview for that on, on Thursday. So uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, we're all about wrapped up here. Any more shout outs for you, Max? No, this has been the weirdest ending to a show <laughs> I think we've ever done sports next door signing out. <laughs>